Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And in a bit, we'll be joined by Wake Forest Seaver King, a top 10 draft prospect who we want to have on the show because college baseball season about to get underway this week. And uh, Jim, you're going to be a, a nice part of that. The MLB Desert Invitational. How many years is this now? I don't even know. I want to say 2019 was the first because I believe that Jack Leiter was a freshman and I remember Al being very tense and I can't remember who was. Somebody said, hey, he's warming up the bullpen and Al's head whipped around and whoever it was <laughs> was just messing with Al because Jack wasn't pitching that day. So I think we had, and we did one during the, pan, the pandemic year because it was before the pandemic hit. So I think this is the sixth. I'm going to say six. Okay. I think it's and it was, six. it was MLB four for what a couple of years at least three years maybe four because it because it had four teams yeah. but then that changed now the desert invitational uh gets underway on friday as does the rest of the college baseball season and jim's going to be down in down in over down and over in phoenix and going to be on calling three games on mlb network uh, all but one of the games is going to be streamed on mlb.com uh, we'll get into more details on that in just a little bit. But uh, yeah, I wanted to have Seaver King on today to help us preview the college baseball season. After that, we'll look back at our look forward. Going to get dizzy. <laughs> uh, last week, we uh, Jim and Jonathan Sam did a, a, they looked into their crystal balls and predicted the each team's number one prospect in 2026. So we want to take a look at that. Uh, talk about some of those guys. All right. So I guess before we before we head down to Arizona, talk about the start of the college baseball season in general a little bit. And you look at our top 100 prospects list, draft prospects list that we put out not too long ago. And you notice a few things at the top, a lot of college players, a lot of bats, a lot of college bats, and uh, one college in particular uh, very well represented at the top, and that is Wake Forest. And I was asking you guys before we came on if you can remember a time that we had a team with three, they have what, three of the top 12, four of the top 16, five of the top 31. I mean, that is impressive. Yeah, you know, it's, and I actually, my memory came through because I remembered the Vanderbilt Troika of Dansby Swanson, Carson Fulmer, and Walker Bueller in 2015. Only because I included it, my research in my newsletter uh, last week. And if they get five first rounders, if they get four first rounders, that would be a first. The record is three. It's been done six times. No, I'm sorry, seven times. Now, we'll, we'll test whether you guys actually read my newsletter. Do you know who the first team was to have three first rounders? I actually read it, and read I don't newsletter. have any memory. I'm no. I'm too busy... Marking down, I finally get to mark Troika off on the bingo card. I've been waiting for someone to use the word Troika on the podcast. So, And, you know, Florida had three of our top 15 in 2018, looking at this, with Brady Singer, Jonathan India, and, and Jackson Kowar. But, uh, and so Jason's not even going to pretend he read my newsletter. Um, I definitely read at least parts <laughs> of it. Okay. Your, your well, name. Well, your, your, your Michigan 1979, your Michigan 1979 edition was the first college with three first rounders, including Rick Lidge, 
who finished third in Heisman Trophy balloting that year. Wow. Steve Howe and not wow. the lead singer wow. of Journey, Steve Perry. Uh, where there better all if it went was in the lead first singer round in 1979. Maybe it was. We'll have to do some more research. I didn't look into that. Uh, <laughs> I think so. He, he didn't make the big leagues, so maybe he found that he it's because he was spending too much time singing with Journey. I think the timing he wasn't dedicated. does not work out right there, but sure. Well, no, he could have been in Journey, then gone to school to get his degree, played baseball, went in the first round, and then decided That's he would have preferred music. You never know. Yeah. No. We, yeah. No way of knowing. No. Uh, I'm sure we, we wouldn't have heard anything about that. Wow. <laughs> would have been a cut four story or something on it back in the day. So, although um, something something I hadn't heard until yesterday was that Andy Reid used to be a vendor at Dodger, at Dodger Stadium. Did you guys know that? Am I the only one who didn't know that? I did not. Know I that. did not know that. <clears throat> All right, there you go. So there are there are some things, some little baseball tidbits out there that we've not heard about, including that Journey Steve Perry was a first, <laughs> first round draft pick. pick. <laughs> Health Michigan set a record back in 1979. Who knew? I did like seeing all of uh, Latroy Hawkins's pictures from the Super Bowl. You know he's Patrick Mahomes' godfather. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I didn't, didn't see that. I didn't see his photos though. See, we've all learned something from all of us today. All right, that's going to do it for this edition <laughs> of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, right, so, so uh, Wake Forest team's really more, good. More yeah. Wake. Yeah. Well, Jim, it's your neck of the draft. Do you want to wax out? Oh, okay. I, I thought you were getting all excited and like hyped up to talk uh, talk some Wake Forest. I mean, they had they almost won the national championship last year. They they lost in the semifinals to classic. I think it was an eleven inning game. Tommy White hit a home run off uh, Camden Minacci of uh, Wake uh, walk off home run. Big Paul Skeens Rhett Louder duel between the two best pitchers in the draft. And, you know, national championship caliber team last year, they lost Brett Louder in the first round. They lost Brock Wilkin in the first round. They lost Sean Sullivan and Seth Keener got drafted early and Manasi. So they, 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 I think they had at least five guys drafted in the first five rounds. And I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but anyway, they all they did was reload. I mean, you come back, you lose all that talent off last year's team. You have Nick Kurtz, their first baseman, who's number two on our draft top 100 who's very much in the running to be the number one overall pick in the draft. They probably have the most, most polished pitcher in the draft and Josh Hartle, who would have been early pick in 2021, had he been signable. Um, he struck out 140 guys in 102 innings last year. Uh, he's going to be a first round pick. I'd be shocked if he wasn't, they got, you know, I think, I think I, if I'm not mistaken, the highest ranked transfer pitcher, on our list and chase burns from Tennessee who can hit 102 miles an hour with his fastball and his slider is probably a better pitch. Um, the aforementioned Seaver King, who we're going to talk to in a little bit is another transfer. He came from division two Wingate where he had a, a 47 game hitting streak as a freshman and sophomore um, before starting last summer. And he could probably play five different positions. He's going to play outfield for them. He looks like a top 10 pick right now. And then Michael Massey, who was just an overpowering reliever, but had no no shot at pitching the rotation because it was so low to last year. He's going to be their Sunday starter. And I mean, he's, you know, mid nineties with an explosive fastball and a wipeout slider. So, you know, they lost some guys, but they they restocked as well. And on paper, they're the they're the favorite to win it all. Scouts are loving this, right? Because they could just set up at Wake all weekend, especially once they're into conference play. And and just check off a whole bunch of guys, you know, and not have to bounce around. Uh, it's pretty nice to have that much talent on one roster. 
all at the same time. And for me, you know, like I'm excited to see them play because to see them all at once and if they live up to, to that billing, but just to see them, everybody get going, you know, it's, we put out that list, you know, in sort of the downtime in between, you know, the fall workouts that college teams have and before the spring season starts. And now this is our first look, especially with this draft class, which is so, you know, as you mentioned, Jason, so college heavy at the, at the top and those bats, what we, we get to see, you know, early on uh, what the fuss is all about and, you know, start being able to talk to people and figure out whether you know, we need to make adjustments for, for our next list. But it's, it, it's mostly like being able to gather data and opinions and evaluations of the guys that, you know, we've been looking at in that top 100 since we put it out in December. I'm really looking forward, Jonathan, to seeing who makes a leap as a pitcher. You know, right now we have, I believe, hitters have the top 12 spots on our draft top 100. You know, I mentioned Josh Hartle is our highest ranked pitcher on that list. And we pretty much know what Josh Hartle is going to do. I mean, he's got solid stuff right. and a lot of polish. He's kind of, in some ways, not an exact replica, but like the lefty version of, of Rhett Lauder last year. Um, but behind him, you've got guys like Hagen Smith at Arkansas who super interesting lefty that when he's on, it's a plus fastball, it's a double plus slider that the command varies a little bit. You know, he lacks some consistency and, and, and that's the case with, with a lot of the pitchers in this class, which is why we didn't rank him higher. I mentioned Chase Burns who has crazy stuff, but couldn't even stick in Tennessee's rotation last year. There's Brody Brecht who we've talked about going back to his high school days. And he went to Iowa primarily as a football player and he's kind of, it's Paul Skeen stuff without, you know, with, with 40 control. So it's not the same command and control, but like it's crazy stuff. And if he finds some consistency, he could rock it up this list. Thatcher heard at LSU and LSU, the defending national champion is going to be formidable, even with losing the top two picks in the last year's draft in Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. Thatcher heard transferred from UCLA and was not good the first half of the season, but down the stretch, he was really, really good. Totally different pitcher started throwing strikes, big reason they won the national championship and so I'm curious, like, like that's kind of our five main guys right now. And they're all kind of bunched together. Who's going to make that leap forward? Because I, I bet by the end of the season, one of these guys will be a top five pick. We just, it, it could be any of them. I'll throw in one other thing that I'm curious to see. I think right now, if, you know, if we were to guess like Jack Caglione is, is thought of as a hitter and he probably will be. What if he takes a huge step forward this year? I mean, you know, he was just coming back from Tommy John surgery. What if he starts finding the zone more consistently and you've got a six, five lefty, you know, mid to upper nineties, you know, and all of this stuff. I'd be curious to see if the, uh, if the balance in terms of how people like him shifts at all, um, because you don't get lefties with that kind of power stuff very often. Now, I don't know that he will, but you know, what he did last year, you know, I, took with a little bit of a, a grain of salt just because it was his his first time pitching post uh, post Tommy John. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, you know, most teams, if it's up to them, figure it's easier. Like, like it's hard to switch him back the other way. Like if you, you try to develop him as a pitcher, right, it point. doesn't work out. Three years later, you've lost 1,500 at-bats, and it's hard to make yep. those back up. And two – and again, I, we haven't, we, we need to get him on the podcast at some point. Well, it seems like a lot of the guys, the two-way players, when you ask them what they prefer to do, if they have to pick one, they'd rather play every day. So they're on the field every day. 
But yeah, it, it would be interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that, Jonathan, but that's a really interesting point because he, as you said, you know, coming back from Tommy John, a lot of times the controls last didn't come back. You know, what, what if he has average control this year? What would the fastball was up to 99 miles an hour? Yeah, that, that, that would be super interesting. All right. So we said that the top of the list is loaded with college bats. And then you guys went off and started talking about arms. Uh, the college bats. Who are you looking forward to seeing here early on? Well, I think you know, the one thing you want to remind yourself of is that a lot of the early games are non-conference games. They're not necessarily seeing them in the ACC or the SEC. Some of these tournaments will, will be fun because you'll, you'll get to uh, see them against good competition. But, you know, you start right at the top with J.J. Weatherholt. Uh, I'm looking forward to warming up here because that's only about an hour. West Virginia is you know, not far from, from where I live, so I'm excited to go watch him play. But, I, I, you know, I think the Weatherholt versus Bazana, Travis Bazana sort of comparison, you know, both middle infielders, both likely second baseman at the next level, although Weatherholt's going to play shortstop this year for West Virginia. Not completely dissimilar skill sets. Some have, you know, one has better, slightly better tools in some areas than the other and vice versa. So I, I, I'm going to be watching kind of the two of them in tandem um, Weatherhold, West Virginia, Bazan at Oregon State, just to sort of see how they stack up against each other. Yeah, you know, one other thing I'm looking forward to too is it, it's an odd year in that you have between Kurtz, Charlie Condon at Georgia, who's who's going to be an outfielder this year, Caglianone, and then Tommy White, who's going to play third base for LSU. We got four guys in our top seven who might be first basemen. At the, at the next level. I, I do think Condon can play the outfield. There are three guys I think might very well be first baseman. And that's not typically a position you see go high, especially in those types of numbers at the top of the draft. And I'll be curious to see how those guys separate themselves. I mean, Kurtz and Condon and Tommy White, I, I think you think power when you, when you think of all those guys first. But they're also very – advanced hitters. I, I don't think like Tommy White in particular gets enough credit for his hitting ability. And then Caglino, I mean, you think power first with him, you know, whether it's as a hitter or a pitcher, he, he's, you know, got some strikeout questions to answer, but you know, he's got the two-way thing going. So I, I think it's going to be, be interesting. At some point we're going to have to do the research and probably when we're done doing top 30 prospects lists, we can focus on the draft as to like what's the earliest four first basemen have gone in the draft. There was a, draft, I think the Yonder Alonzo draft, which was what, like 2008 or something, had a bunch of first basemen. Um, I don't know why that popped into my head out of the blue, but uh, we, will, we will have to do that research at, at some point. All right. So you mentioned Caglinone and Florida is number two behind Wake Forest in D1 baseball's uh, preseason rankings. Just wanted to rattle off the top 10 quickly. Wake Forest, Florida, Arkansas, LSU, TCU, Vanderbilt, Oregon State, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Clemson. Uh, you guys know there, one of those teams did not finish 2023 in the top 25. Do you know which one it was? I feel like it's Clemson, but... It was Texas A&M. Point being, and especially if you look at the top five, Wake Forest, final 2023 rank, number three, Florida, two, LSU, one, TCU five, Arkansas sixteen. I mean, not a, not a ton of uh, new blood in terms of the elite uh, programs coming into this year. 
Yeah, I mean, Florida and LSU are going to be at the top of the list. And I think Wake is too, pretty much year after year after year. You know, Vanderbilt's another program that sustained success and they're ranked all the way down at, at six. I think college baseball, there's more teams capable of going to Omaha than there were 10, 15 years ago. I mean, there's a lot of schools that have tremendous facilities and a lot of schools that really get after it. But you just look at what, you know, like not to slight anybody, but like, you know, Wake and Florida and LSU and Vandy, just to name four programs, do on a year in, year out basis. It's, they just reload. And, you know, LSU lost a bunch of guys off National Championship Club. They had another great transfer class, had another great recruiting class, and they're going to be loaded again. I just think that's those four programs. And again, I'm sure we'll hear from somebody who says, what about this program? But I do think those four programs, we could look five years from now. And I bet you see those same four programs are all in the top five or 10 programs going into, you know, whatever season it is. I think that whole, the whole transfer class thing now is super fascinating. And it's changed the sort of nature of college baseball, where it's not just recruiting guys out of high school. And in fact, it may be more so how well can you do in getting guys, you know, via the, the transfer portal, look at what Wake was able to do. And, and the, you know, that's, it's become such an important part of that reloading process. And because you, you can do it in a hurry, you don't have to get a, an 18 year old and hope they're ready to compete at a really high level right out of the gate. I, I think you're going to see programs hire, I don't know what they'll call them, but essentially like a player personnel director. Um, like I, I've talked to some scouts about this. I wonder if we're going to see some scouts getting hired by college baseball programs to basically scout existing like like you're not supposed to recruit guys until they enter the portal so i'm not suggesting breaking any rules but basically have guys scouting other op, you know the opposition so you can pounce or, or make a move as soon as guys enter the portal i think you i think that 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 roster management you know especially because you have roster limitations and you you can't just yeah, you're, you're going to run into recruiting problems if you're just running guys off to bring in new guys every year. So it's a delicate balance. But I do think you're going to have like roster management is going to become huge in college baseball, kind of like never before. Well, Jim, you're about to enter the portal and transfer from Chicago to Phoenix. Well, I might not come back. I might not come back. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about the Desert Invitational. A bunch of teams will be making their first or second appearance. I think every every team is either making its first or second appearance. Boston College, BYU, Georgetown, Grand Canyon, K-State, Ohio State, Cal, and USC. And you will be on two broadcasts on Friday, BC and Ohio State, Kansas State and Cal, and then another on Saturday in Grand Canyon and USC. Is that right? That third game, Grand yeah. Canyon, USC? Okay. Well, and you had USC coach Andy Stankowitz. Yeah. Previously coached at Grand Canyon before yeah. taking the USC job. So it's just too bad that game. Oh, but it's not being played at Grand Canyon. As, it, that as... will not be at Grand Canyon, which is a shame because last year's Grand Canyon-Tennessee game had a full house. crowd was electric. You had fans watching from the parking deck you know, beyond the outfield. That atmosphere was unbelievable. And hopefully we I, – I, I'm not in charge of, of the Desert Invitational, but they should play a game at Grand Canyon every year. Grand Canyon just put on a great show. You know, Jacob Wilson, Homer Bush Jr. They won, I think it was 4-3. Chase Burns pitched in that game, um, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So I, I'm hoping we'll get back to that in years going forward to have a game on campus because it's just a different atmosphere. Like, they draw fairly well. 
I think all the games I'm doing are at Salt River Fields this year. Like last year, we had Arizona opening the season with Tennessee and Chase Dolander, who was our top-rated pitching prospect at the time. And there was some cool stuff, like Juan Soto came to the game because he's close to Chip Hale, who's Arizona's coach. And Arizona, you know, Tucson's a couple hours away. So I don't know what the attendance was, but it was probably a couple thousand people, which is a good crowd, you know, especially because you're at a, essentially a neutral site. But it felt empty because, you know, it's 2,000 people. What's Salt River hold, eight or 10? Um, so hopefully we'll get back to Grand Canyon. But, like, it, it should be fun. We, we've, we've had a nice history of uh, – uh, like some dramatic late inning home runs and some quality prospects over the years. And uh, uh, we didn't have it um, live, but like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter both made their college debuts at the, at the desert invitational back then it was MLB four. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So who should uh, we be watching in this year's edition? Well, Jonathan, I'm gonna let you talk first about your, your West coast guys because you've got three top 100 prospects in the Desert Invitational. Yeah, I'll start with that the Cal team. And, you know, I think that uh, Caleb Lomavita is really interesting. He has a chance. We have him at 21 right now. And I think if he if he performs like I think he might, he's going to move up closer to that top group of, of college bats, especially because he can catch. Uh, so, you know, that – is really interesting. He can hit, he's got power and he's going to be good behind the plate. And then the other guy is Rodney green jr. Uh, really uh, talented outfielder. His power over hit. He can really run. I think he could have, you know, this, this is a kind of stage where he could make a name for himself. Um, it's been you know more raw than, than performance, you know, a lot of strikeouts, things like that. So I think he's a guy that like he, Obviously, it's not going to make or break him one, you know, one weekend. But on the national stage like that, if he starts, if he's performing well, he's also he's also going to move up. And then Austin Overn is the other guy at Southern Cal, uh, who may be one of the fastest guys in the country. So you'll probably enjoy watching him wreak havoc on the base paths. And K State, which is the the lone ranked team at the Desert Invitational in the D one baseball poll, they are number twenty four. The Wildcats are. They have two guys that I cannot wait to see, both who have, I think, some upward of mobility, even though we've ranked them pretty high. Kalen Culpepper, who's number 28 on our list, has a chance to be the first ever Wildcat position player taken in the first round. Do you guys know who the first, the only Wildcats first rounder is in, in draft history? Quick quiz. Nope. It's in the big leagues right now. Recent first round pick. Recent first round pick out of K-State. Yep. Still prospect eligible. Give it to us. Jordan Wicks. The weird thing was, is like his name popped in my head and I was afraid to be wrong, which has never stopped See? me before. Yeah, it's terrible. Got to risk it. But anyway, so he's got a chance to be the first, first round, I can't even speak, I can't say it. First, first round position player in Wildcats history, Kalen Culpepper, super interesting guy. He's going to play shortstop this year. We'll see on that. Like he, like the range is more average-ish. Scouts think he's a potential gold glover with a plus arm at third base, but he can really, really hit. He had a handmade injury last year, so he got off to a slow start, kind of turned it up at the Big 12 Conference Tournament, was the best hitter on the U.S. Collegiate National Team last summer. He hit 471 in their, in their brief schedule. Um, 
really good approach. You know, it's all field, consistent contact, a lot of bat speed. The question is going to be power on him. It's a relatively flat swing. And, you know, is it going to be 12, 15 homers? Is it going to be 15 or 20? Is he really going to get into it? And maybe it's 25 because he's, he's such an advanced hitter and he does have that bat speed. So if he comes out and has a good spring, I think he could go higher than we have him. And then I'm really hoping we get to see Tyson neighbors in our game. We're, we're doing Friday. He's a closer. So we don't know when he's going to pitch for Kansas state, but his stuff is crazy. He's got three pitches. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I, I think his fastball swing and miss rate last year was something like 44%. And, and the fastball might be his third best pitch. Like he's 93, 95 up to 99. It's got cut. It's got ride. It's got carry. He's got an 81 to 84 mile an hour slider with two plane depth. They had a 67% swing and miss rate last year. He's got an upper eighties cutter. The guys can't touch. And with his kind of compact muscular frame and his high tempo delivery, he gets some Craig Kimbrell comps. Like he's got that kind of stuff. Last year at a one eight five ERA, 86 strikeouts and 48 and two thirds innings led the big 12 with 11 saves. I- I'm really hoping we get to see him because he's just fun to watch. And, you know, it'll be interesting, you know, college closers, college relievers, there was a time, I guess a long time ago. And I started when guys like that were going in the first round and that didn't work out in a lot of cases. And now it seems like, like third rounds kind of like the, the upper limit to where a reliever is going to go. But I, I think Tyson neighbors stuff is so good. Like we might see him go in the middle of the second round in, uh, in July. Okay. Well, someone that we might see go toward the top of the first round in July, Wake Forest, Seaver King. He's going to join us after this. We're going to take a break. Be right back and talk to him on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis here with Seaver King. Very happy to have him join us here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Uh, number nine on our draft top 100 prospects list entering the season. One of five Wake Forest players who could be first round picks, which is why I think they're the consensus number one right now. But Seaver, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So I have to ask this first question. Jason Ratliff, who's our, our host of the podcast, wanted to know, the origin of the name Seaver. Are you named after Tom Seaver or where did Seaver come from? Um, yeah, I would say partially, um, which is funny because my dad was a uh, Braves, is still a Braves fan. So, you know, it kind of doesn't line up. But I think um, when they were picking out a name, I think my dad mentioned that and my mom fell in love with it. So I think that's kind of how it went. Um, but yeah, um, they ended up being a pitcher, but, you know, couldn't <laughs> be a pitcher anyway, so. Did you ever pitch? Did you pitch when you were younger? Because you, you have uh, you know, pretty good arm strength. Growing up, no. Um, I pitched my senior year of high school. I was our closer. Other than that, just never was, you know, gifted with, you know, arm strength until, you know, I got to college. So Gotcha, gotcha. And so I, I guess I know you're from Athens, Georgia. Um, went to, I think, Athens Christian High. Um, I'm actually a Georgia grad. So uh, were you heavily recruited? Out of, out of high school, or were you not real fiscal yet? What was the recruiting process like for you at that point? 
Yeah, um, I was super undersized um, my freshman and sophomore year and then COVID my junior year when I started, you know, growing and ramping it up. And then, you know, I want to have a stress-free senior year and just kind of go out and play and have fun. Um, so I committed to Wingate. That was my only offer at the time. Um, so I committed there to, you know, go and, and play college ball. Um, but yeah, I would say definitely not heavily recruited, but, you know, um, the path I took, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it at all. And Wingate, I mean, Wingate's a pretty good program. I mean, they're D2, but I believe they were D2 national champs in 2021, the year before you got there, right? And yes, they've sir. had some guys in pro ball. Like, I'm, I'm going to – was Brody McCullough from Wingate? Yes, with sir. The Cubs? And there's another pitcher who I'm forgetting who's had some success in pro ball. Um, uh, McCullum. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, Wingate, you know, even though they're D2 program, and our listeners may not be familiar with them, and they produce pro players – and I mean, you had a lot of success at Wingate. You know, in fact, you had, a, I guess, between your freshman and your sophomore seasons, it overlapped a 47 game hitting streak. I, I, not too many people have, have ever had a 47 game hitting streak at any level, Seaver. I was curious, like, one, had you ever been on any kind of long hitting streak? And then, two, what's it like when that thing keeps rolling? Like, does it get stressful or at all? Like, or, or is it on your mind at some point? Like, I know early on you're probably not thinking about it, but as it, it's 20 30 40 is it on your mind every day when you get to the ballpark yeah um I wouldn't say it was ever really on my mind um nobody would really you know mention it until you know I'm 0 for 3 or 0 for 2 and it's the last at bat in the eighth inning or whatever then like I'd hear some rumblings or you know I'd get a hit in the last day B and our bullpen would go crazy because you know the streak's alive or whatever it may be okay. um but yeah, I didn't really try to think of it. The only time I did think of it was when I lost it. It was on my birthday, last game of the year last year. I was like, oh, if I'm going to lose it, today's going to be the day. Um, and it was the day. So um, I think, you know, the fact that I did think of it that day, I like to think of is why I lost it. But, you know, I never really was, you know, too focused. I was trying to have my team win in any, at any means. So that's kind of how that went. When did you decide you were going to – well, this is maybe a stupid question. If you're going from D2 to D1, do you still enter the transfer portal officially? Or is it – different because yeah. of different levels or how does that work when, when did you um, make that decision yeah so the decision was on my mind for I would say most of the spring last year um didn't really let anybody know because you know I got to finish my spring there and you know we're trying to win a national championship so I can't have you know, any any rumblings or anything like that um but yeah as soon as we stopped playing I put my name in the portal which was I think the last weekend of SEC play because I went and visited UGA when they played LSU um, so that's kind of the timeline of that around there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I officially put my name in there. So I, I put it on like a Monday and I got like officially put in the email like at two o'clock. And I think I got a call at like 202 or 205 or something like that. It was on the phone till you know, 12 p.m. that night. So that was kind of the, the, the crazy madness of the portal that day. So, yeah, I mean, I assume that's got to be tough because, I mean, on one hand, you know, you're loyal to Wingate. They gave you an opportunity. Their first school to recruit you. On the other hand, I mean, you kind of have to do what's best for you. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if, if scouts had talked to you much, but I mean, you were on people's radar and obviously playing awake at the ACC, you're going to get the opportunity to play a higher level of competition on a bigger stage and benefits you. I mean, how I, it's weird to me when you, when you see a lot of people seem to be negative about the transport, like I, I think more so for football, like, oh, these athletes are just changing schools. And I always look at it like, one, I'm old enough to see that when I started covering college baseball, like back in 1989, you could transfer any sport but football or basketball, you could transfer without sitting out. So this isn't right. like 
they, they, this went on for years in baseball anyway, not to this degree with NIL money. And two, this is America. Like, you should be able to go where you want. Like, coaches, nobody seems to have a problem most of the time when a coach gets a better opportunity and he leaves. But anyway, I'm rambling now. But how, how tough is that? Because on one hand, you want to be loyal to the program to give you the opportunity, but also in some ways you need to be loyal to yourself and you have an opportunity to to help yourself and help your standing and take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, my dream was always to play division one baseball and, and play in front of, you know, 4,000 people every night. That was always what I wanted to do. And, you know, whenever I, at Wingate, it wasn't 4,000, but, you know, we had people come up and, and, and compare games and stuff, but that was still a dream of mine. And, you know, I realized it possibly could come true, you know, probably halfway through the spring last year. And, you know, talked to my parents a lot about it, talked to my high school coach a lot about it and, you know, came to the decision that, you know, I got to have one shot at this. So I might as well, you know, try my luck and, and go about it. Um, but yeah, I, I let my coach know after we got excluded from the regionals and, you know, he was super supportive. Like he understood the reasonings and, and was super supportive and, you know, made the first couple calls for me. Um, so me and coach Gregory have a great relationship still to this day. You know, it was just it was just an easy transition. I would say there was no bad blood or anything. Um, I think about it, I went about it, you know, the best way I could have and not going for reasons or whatever. It was just because it was my dream to play Division One baseball. So that was kind of the the way that kind of went. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like everybody handled it well. You handled it very well. And, like, people in general should be happy if somebody gets a better opportunity. Like, you know, right. but anyway, so it's good. How long – did the transfer portal recruiting process last? I mean, how long, I assume you had an interest from a ton of schools. How long did it take for you to make a decision? Yeah. Um, so I had two weeks until I was supposed to report to the Cape, um, I think was the timeline there. So um, within like the first two days, I kind of made a list on where I wanted to go and, you know, what the conversations I had with the coaches kind of lined up with what I was looking for. Um so I took six visits, um, South Carolina, Clemson, UGA, NC State, North Carolina, and then Wake Forest was um, the last visit. I I, st I was stopped here on the way up to the Cape, and, you know, I kind of knew I, this was the place for me. I just kind of had to make sure it was real, um, and I got to campus, and, you know, Coach Wald and Coach Salento and Coach Moose and all those guys, you know, made it feel like home, and, and it really did feel like home. Um you know, now being a part of it now, it's like I couldn't have made a better decision. So it was definitely like a two-week process. It definitely was a lot quicker than, you know, I maybe would have hoped, I guess you could say, just because I wanted to, you know, go play summer ball and just enjoy it and not have to worry about all the all the things of, you know, f going and visit on a Tuesday and having to go and play in the Cape on a Wednesday type of thing. That wasn't really what right. I was looking for. You know, we kind of attacked it head on and, and, and just kind of went with it. Had you played with any of the Wake players previously in summer ball? And then did you wind up playing with any of them on Team USA or in the Cape last summer? Yeah. Um, my roommate, Michael Massey, um, when I was growing up, we I played on the A team. He was on the B team. So we scrimmaged quite, quite a lot um, when we were younger. Um, so I knew him from before. And um, he was kind of one of the people that I was with on my visit. Um, but, yeah, he was kind of the only one I ever knew. Um, and then this summer, you know, me, Mike, and, and Josh Hartle spent uh, the first week there. And then me and Mike spent the next three weeks together. So, yeah, those were kind of the guys. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really have any previous, you know, connections. But I, I could just see on TV how much fun they have. And that was a big thing that I held was, you know, I want to have fun and, and play with emotion. That's kind of the guy I am. And, you know, it just seemed like it, it brought out the best in all the players. So that was something I want to be a part of. 
what is, I mean, obviously, I mean, Wake's at a level where you're playing to win a national championship. You know, they went to Omaha last year, came about as close as you could get to getting to the finals without getting in the finals. I mean, lost a classic 11-inning game to LSU, Rhett Lauder, Paul Skeens, Tommy White hits a walk-off homer. How, I don't know if hungry is the right word, but how motivated is this team? I mean, obviously, it's a very talented team, but I got to assume they have to be pretty highly motivated after, I mean, they were this close to playing for the national championship, and with their pitching staff had to feel like we could win the national championship if we get to the finals and and to just fall that short. What, what's been the vibe around the team during the fall and getting ready for this season? Yeah, um, it's definitely a completely new team. We got, you know, half our team is new guys, transfers, freshmen, whatever it may be. So I think the combination of we've been there, we know what it felt like to lose, and, you know, what it felt. we also know what it felt like to get there. Um, that, you know, experience is really helping us. And then also, you know, you got freshmen and, and transfers like us who – never thought of ever sniffing Omaha and now, you know, you got that hunger. So it's, it's kind of a, a mix of those two that have, you know, made it super, you know, easy to prepare and, and go about it the right way. And we all, you know, want to get there and we all have the same common goal. So I would say, you know, just the mix of it, it's not, you know, our whole starting lineup didn't, wasn't playing in Omaha last year, like maybe three or four guys were. So it's just, a, it's just a mix and it's, it's mixing really well. So, I mean, I got to assume you guys are excited. The season's going to start. I mean, we're recording this on a Monday night. It's going to start in four days. And I should have looked. Who do you guys open with? I, I should have looked, and I didn't. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, we open with Fordham, Illinois, and Akron. Okay. So I, I'm sure you're excited to, to actually get to play your first official game for Wake Forest. What was the fall like? I mean, I know there's more pitchers besides the big three, but Wake literally has three. Like Josh Hartle's our top-ranked pitching prospect in the country. Chase Burns is the top-ranked pitching prospect on other lists. Michael Massey, who you've known longer than anybody, you know, is making the jump from the bullpen where he was just a force to rotation. He could be a first-round pick. <laughs> what is it like facing those guys in inner squads and fall practice? Yeah, um, it's definitely fun to watch when, you know, they're on your team. So, I mean, this weekend, you know, we played behind Mike. Chase and Hardo, and it was, you know, truly, you know, fun to some fun to play center field for, I guess you could say. But yeah, facing him, like, you know, Hardo is a more comfortable at bat for me as a righty. So I mean, facing him, but like seeing what he does to, you know, other hitters and stuff is is, is fun to watch. And then Burns is, you know, I like to say I rather face Burns, you know, the whole fall just to because he's going to be one of the best righties we face all year. And if I can feel confident against him, I can feel confident against anybody. Um, but yeah, he's really taking a step forward and, and it's going to be really good for us. And then Mike has arguably been my, I've had the worst at basking some, I think I'm like Oh, for five or four punches or something like that. So um, you're not the only one he averages about, it seems like two strikeouts an inning. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's fun to watch and fun to be a part of how, how hard those guys work and, and how serious they take it. Um, the preparation that Josh and Chase might go through before they start is, you know, is something, you know, I really respect and, and it's fun to watch. So yeah, those three guys are, are truly unbelievable. And then, you know, the freshmen also, you know, they're, they set really good leadership, you know, spots for those guys and, you know, they follow it and it's just the pitching staff of, with coach Moose is, is, is something I've never seen before. So it's, it's fun to watch them work every day. And speaking of fun, I, I got to assume it's fun to watch Nick Kurtz in the lineup too. I mean, there, there's a guy who, potentially be the one pick in the draft. You know, everybody thinks about the power, but he's also a really good hitter. He's a really good fender at first base. Have you seen too many? I mean, you played on Team USA and you played in the Cape, so you've seen some really good players. I mean, how's he ranked with the players you've seen up close? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's probably the best hitter I've ever seen. 
the the BP is unreal. Like he won't hit a ground ball, and every single ball will be mashed and just stay in there for you know forever. Um, and then when he gets in a game, it's you know super good approach. And if he's not going to get his hit, he's just going to you know flick his hands and hit a ball one ten backside. Like it's just it's kind of unreal. Um, because when we, we get to the ballpark, we're like, all right, you know. He's two. He's had two at bats and has a home run. It's got to be coming. And then you know, here it comes. And you know, me hitting on deck behind him. Um, you know, I get to learn a lot and 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 learn how you know he handles at bats and because I'm right up in 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 there. So yeah, Kurtz is he's one of the you know hardest working guys and and he's also a big leader on our team and leads by example and and knows how to you know get the guys going. So yeah, he's been awesome to play against play or play alongside with. Sorry. How easy or hard is it? to keep the draft on the back burner. I mean, I know you talk to players, you know, season's coming up, you want to win national championship, you're focusing on that. But I mean, you're being talked about, you know, you, you've gone from division two school, you know, good program, like we talked about, you had success there. You played well in the Valley League year before, you played well with Team USA in the Cape Cod League. But all of a sudden, I mean, you're now being talked about as a potential top 10 pick. How hard, I mean, you, you have to think about it at least a little, right? How hard is it to, to, to not, I know you're not focusing on that, but how hard is it to ignore all that and just focus on, on what's going on on the field. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never had this type of publicity in my life, so it's kind of like new to me, but you know, like at the end of the day, like Billy says, every time we get to the field, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter. Like we all have our own goal we're going for and anything else that's not aligned with that, it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, we have an aligned goal and we talk about our goal every single day and, and it's just going out there and playing with our team one more time. And, and that's, and that's the goal is to play another day, another day, another day. And, you know, we're only promised 56 games together or however many games together. And, you know, we're going to make the best, the most of it and and try to play as long as we can. So um, it's become pretty easy just because our team has gotten so close and, and the relationships we built have been super easy and, you know, you just want to play for the play for each other and play for as long as we can. What are you, I mean, obviously you're playing to win games. What are you looking to work on? What are, what are you looking to get better at this spring? Like I said, like I want, I want to run a little bit more too as well. So I want to be, you know, not necessarily a a two a a two threat guy. I want to be a three threat guy and be able to hit for power contact and also just in and run and and cause havoc on the base pass. You know, because you know our lineup, the way our lineup's fixed is, you know, hurts in the three, me in the four is, you know, I'm gonna have either an RBI opportunity or I'm gonna be, a, you know, kind of a second leadoff hitter type thing, and and that's gonna be huge for us and just kind of get the offense kind of restarted, which is you know, a role I've been used to hitting leadoff last year and stuff, but, you know, I'm actually trusting my, the, my running and, and how fast I am and all the things. And, and I played the game for two years and I feel really comfortable now with our staff and, you know, they kind of, you know, let me go and, and, and play my game. So that's, that's a big thing. And then defensively, you know, playing center field is a big ask um, given I haven't played outfield in probably my whole life, but, you know, it's, it's a, it's a challenge and I'm, I'm really welcoming it on and, you know, our outfielders are, are good and, and, and talk to us behind them, but it comes easy when our pitching staff is as good as, as good as it is. So, um, yeah, just the defensive piece and, you know, working on, you know, rounding out my game and then the approach comes with it, you know, we're going to be facing, you know, some of the best arms in the country. And so just being able to go from at bat and that to at bat and learn from each one and, and, and learn what I can do better each time is, is something that I'm going to be really doing. Speaking of the defensive piece, did you know what position you were going to be playing when you came to Wake, or was it somewhat open-ended? Because I know even just talking to Scott Stelly in fall ball, you know, we're wondering, is it going to be short? Is it going to be second? Is it going to be center? I mean, you're athletic, you're versatile, you have a good arm. So, I mean, there's a lot of options. But did you know for sure? Or, or what did they tell you position-wise when they when they were recruiting you? 
funny enough, Wake was the only um, school to tell me I wouldn't play shortstop um, because of Merrick. Um, and, you know, I, I was like, all right, like, I'll believe when I see it. But, you know, Merrick's going to be one of the best shortstops this year in the country. So um, he's really stepped up for us. And, you know, Austin Hawk at second base has really stepped up as well, transferred from UNC. So, you know, I, 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 my goal is to play every day. So if somebody, you know, gets sick or knocks with injury, you know, I'm right back in the infield. So I, I want to be ready at all times. And then center field is just kind of the athlete part of me can come out and just kind of go see ball, get ball. So, yeah, I didn't necessarily know where I was going to play. Um, the center field thing didn't really come on my radar until probably like halfway through the fall. I went to lunch with Coach Walter and he was like, all right, we're just going to start throwing guys out there. We need to, you know, try to see, change the lineup up and just kind of see what happens. And I didn't really think I did too much that day, but apparently I look good out there and, you know, I've been out there ever since. So it's a challenge I'm really to take on and, and I'm super excited for it. How comfortable are you out there? How how easy or difficult has it been making that transition when you don't have a lot of experience out there? Yeah, um, I think just kind of the baseball instincts kind of take over and it's, you know, as long as my feet are on time and it ball goes up and I'm going to, you know, trust – you know, what my corner outfitters are telling me to where, you know, I'm just going to sprint to the wall and if they tell me the fence is coming, like I got to, I got to make a decision kind of thing. So I don't really think of it too much. I think it's, it's pretty comfortable because, you know, I'm as an infitter, I kind of know where the ball needs to go every time. So it's kind of in the back of my mind where ball in the gap, I know where I'm going with it. I can set up well, or, you know, do I have to get behind of it or, you know, do I have a shot of even throwing this guy out or, you know, let's kind of control the running game as well. So I think the infield piece, you know, makes it a little bit more comfortable in the outfield as well. Gotcha. Well, Seaver, I really appreciate your time today. It's uh, good luck this season. I hope we get to see you and Wake back in Omaha. It's going to be fun following you guys because this is one of the most loaded college teams I can remember. I mean, the record for one school having first-round picks in one draft is three, and you guys potentially could have five. So, so good luck this season, Seaver, and, and thanks again for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, that was Seaver King of Wake Forest, center fielder, potential first-round pick number one team in the country. We're going to take a quick break on the MLB Pipeline podcast. And when we come back, we're going to look at who each team's number one prospect might be two years from now and answer a question from the listener mailbag. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Thanks very much to Seaver King for joining us. Jim, some of your finest work there. Fine, fine interview. Thank you. Let's look back at our look forward. Uh, as mentioned when we first started here, the crystal ball you looked into ahead two years at who will be each team's number one prospect. Uh, we've done this for quite a few years now. And uh, you guys did a quite a good job. We so we looked back at what you projected in 2022 uh, as to who would be a top 100 prospect for each team in 2024. And when we tallied that up, it was what was it? Ten are currently top 100 prospects. One had already graduated. Uh, Ellie Davis had already exhausted his rookie eligibility. And is there any other wrinkles to that? I felt like it was like we there was roughly a third of them were prospects and a third of them weren't very good. Yeah. Yeah. But as you put uh, it, like we had 333 or 367 or whatever it was. Yep. So yeah. um, we're all Hall of Famers. Thank you. Indeed. And, uh, well, this time we're, we're shooting for uh, 
no less. Sure. Check back in two years. So when, when you went through this, you uh, two, along with Sam Dykstra, um, I'm sure there were some relatively easy ones and some far more difficult ones when you're, I mean, talk about a little bit first about the process of how you're narrowing down to, to make these decisions. I mean, you're, you're thrown out guy, anyone who you think is going to have exhausted their rookie eligibility or prospect eligibility at that point, I'm sure. There, wh- what else kind of goes into that? Wh- what else do you factor in? That was pretty much it. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess you're trying to project, I mean, who the highest, you know, like, I mean, speaks for the highest ranked prospect is not going to graduate. I, I don't know, John. I mean, you went with two college guys. I think the only two college guys on the list, I mean, I think we skewed super young for the most part to err on the side of you guys are going to be there. Although I don't think you're necessarily wrong, Jonathan, because there are going to be some college guys who won't have graduated two years from now. Yeah, I think, you know, some of it in a general sense, Jason, to answer your first question, I think that, you know, maybe you're looking for, you know, as Jim said, the highest ranking guy who you think is still going to be around, but also guys with ceiling, right? You know, there may be guys who are behind that highest ranked guy, but you could see, you know, they've, they're just getting the full season ball. You know, they're a high school guy or they're an international sign and they could take that huge leap forward. You know, that, that is extremely possible, you know, and I think in the case of those two college players, there's a calculation because then you have to look like, well, are they going to get to the big leagues by the beginning of 2026? Will they be, will there be a log jam? You know, one of them was Enrique Bradfield. We don't have to go down too far with the Orioles. Now they may sign somebody or draft somebody in the next year or two who will ascend to, to the top spot. We don't know that yet. And they have some international guys that are interesting, but the combination of them having a lot of guys close to the big leagues now and how deep they are at outfield. I was like, I could see him, you know, making it to triple A and kind of have just being there and start 2026. He hasn't graduated yet. So that was my calculation for those, for him in particular. And you wind up seeing a lot of like, like this, I don't think this is that this isn't the most uh, scientific thing or, or that difficult to put together, but like the first eight high school players taken in last year's draft are on this list. The next three, there were 11 high school players in the first round. The last three, Dylan Head, George Lombard Jr., and Eden Miller, didn't make it because we went with international guys for those teams. Um, so I, I think the list is – I haven't done the exact demographic breakdown, but it's a lot of former high school first-round picks and top-ranked international players. Yeah, I was going to ask whether either of you remembered off the top of your heads whether you took a player uh, who was ranked lower than someone else who you thought would still be around Jim in your case. I mean, this may, this may change uh, with the new 2024 rankings coming out soon, but Arius is, was one spot behind Lombard and the year end 2023 list. So maybe, maybe that changes. Well, well but uh, you look at the top 100 Arius is on the top 100 yeah, and Lombard is not. So, uh-huh. oh, so yes, know. he will rank, he will rank ahead of him. Yeah. Go. It's yeah. It's I, I didn't look, it's interesting. I didn't think about bringing it out. I'd be curious how many of these would not be obvious if you were just looking at our 2023 list. And I have no idea. Uh, all right. Well, tell us, uh, let's, let's talk about a couple of the easier choices and a couple of the more difficult ones. Jonathan, easy one. Sure. Um, 
I went with uh, Walker Jenkins of the Twins. He's already the number one prospect in the organization. And to Jim's point, you know, high school bat from last year's draft taken at the top. We've talked enough about him. You know, Twins were the big winners in the draft lottery, jumped up to number five, and were able to land uh, Walker Jenkins. He had a really, really nice, albeit you know, relatively brief pro debut, made it to full season ball hit 362 and slugged 571 in that time. Uh, so th- that was pretty much a slam dunk. I guess there's, you know, because he's such a talented hitter, an outside possibility that he rushes to the big leagues by 2025. But I think the odds of him doing that and graduating can be tough, especially because the twins tend to be on the more thorough side in terms of letting guys get their reps in the minors as part of their development. Well, and also too, I mean, we saw this, I think, what are there three players on our, our top 100 prospects list who have exactly 45 days of service time, Nick Shanuel, um, Michael Bush. I can't remember if there's a third guy, which is not a coincidence because 45 is the most, the highest amount of days of service time you can have without losing your rookie status. So those guys will go into the following year eligible for a PPI pick if they mm-hmm. make the opening day roster. And so I, I agree with you. I mean, that, that's the thing. And I, I ran the exact same scenario, Jonathan, with Noble Meyer of the Marlins, who was the top, your first high school pitcher taken last year's draft. He went 10th overall, the Marlins. He's the best prospect in the system already. And so it's easy to pick him again, unless you think he's going to graduate, you know, he's, he's got stuff, he's got polish. He can move very quick for him to graduate off the list would mean he would lose his rookie status at age 20, um, which seems to be asking, although like it, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't even know if Josh Beckett lost his rookie status that quick. Um, I don't think he did. So anyway, um, same logic you had, Jonathan. Um, you know, he might, if he's as good as the Marlins hope, be up at the end of 2005, but I don't, I don't see any way he's going to graduate. So, um, I think were those the only two guys? I'm pretty sure those are the only two guys on the list who currently rank as their organization's top prospect. But I might be wrong. Max Clark, maybe who is Sam's guy, maybe Blake Mitchell too. So I, I think there were a couple more guys in that situation. Yeah, there was a yeah. small handful I remember, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it easy when the guy's the current number one prospect to say, okay, yeah, because I, I mean, if you don't think he's gonna be number one prospect two years from now, then he probably shouldn't be number one now, unless you think he's graduating. All right. Uh, how about a, a less obvious or riskier? I went to the Braves and Jose Perdomo, and it's the risk for me there wasn't that he's not going to be good enough. It's it's that he hasn't played an inning of baseball yet. Uh, he was number three on our top fifty international prospects list for this year's international signing period. The Braves gave him five million to join. So, <laughs> thinking about it, he you know. Assuming he plays in the Dominican Summer League this year, he'll have played probably in the, in the Complex League in 2025. So he'll just be making his full season debut when we're working on our 2026 lists, you know, ahead of ahead of that full season debut. So to put somebody in the number one spot ahead of that doesn't happen very often. Uh, so I, I think that was a big a big reason why I sort of decided to leapfrog. He's a guy in terms of and he's not even on a list yet. He will be, uh, obviously, when when the new Braves list comes out. And then 
they have the Braves have a bunch of arms kind of filling up much of their top 10. And a lot of those guys will, you know, hopefully have graduated by then. Or I do, this is a case where I do feel like Perdomo's ceiling uh, surpasses some of those arms, even if he's, you know, not going to rank him ahead yet because he's not played any baseball yet. I guess my one of my more risky guys was was Josu DePaula of the Dodgers. And I don't know how risky he is. It's uh, Jonathan was mocking me. Jonathan was mocking me because I, I put uh, I put uh, the, most of my guys were famous because I had six of my ten guys have have been or on our current top one hundred. So I didn't have a lot most of guys. Most of my guys are famous because I've written about them already. No, I did not. I did not write that on the podcast. <laughs> it was between the lines. <laughs> So, so they were like, I didn't have that many guys who, who weren't just easy choices, but you know, DePaula, so he hasn't had his breakout year yet. You know, he hit 284 last year, he had a 768 ops, but that was as an 18 year old in single A. Um, if he had, if he, if he had a few more at bats to qualify, he would have been the top five in the Cal league and hitting it on base percentage again, as an 18 year old in single A. And he, I just think, this guy is, I mean, he's definitely going to hit. We already can see he's hitting for average. He's drawn walks. He's getting stronger. He makes good swing decisions. He's got a really nice swing, plenty of bat speed. Spent the offseason training with Juan Soto and Ellie De La Cruz. I mean, this guy could be a 300 hitter with 30 home. I mean, this guy could be up near the top of our top 100 prospects list in 2026. You know, nice thing is with Dodgers system and that organization being so loaded, they aren't going to rush him. So I'm pretty confident he'll be on the list still in 2026, you know, he's going to be, you know, it's fringy run. It's you're hoping fringy defense on the outfield corner, but he can, uh, he can just really, really hit. And I think the power is going to come and he's going to be a monster. Okay. Let us answer a question from the mailbag and sports. Well, MIA sports, which I'm going to guess is not missing in action sports or Mia sports, but Miami sports, I think but that's right. The Twitter handle is Sports MIA, and I'm going to pronounce it Sports Mia. Uh, asks, and I think you guys. You know what? You're, you're I've right. I've already answered this question. Hold on, St. Jason. Research our, our crack research team. His <laughs> uh, his background on his on his Twitter profile is Hurricanes, Dolphins, Heat, Marlins. So that, uh, I still think it's somebody. He's asking Mia. a question about Noble Meyer, so it doesn't yeah. really take no. that much research to connect those dots. No, it's Mia. Um, <laughs> Mia asks, how long do you believe it will take Noble Meyer to reach the majors? And once he gets there, what do you believe his ceiling could be if he continues to add muscle to his frame? Thanks. Well, it's, you know, I, I think it's going to take him. Well, we, we just mentioned, you know, he, he's got stuff. He's got, he's got polish. His top high school pitcher taken last year's draft. These guys are handled carefully. I, I think he probably gets there, Jonathan. I think he gets there in 2026. I think he will celebrate being number one on the Marlins list for mid-2023, 24, 25, beginning of 26, and he'll graduate to the majors in 26. He'll have had enough That's of our list. That's a long celebration. He'll, he'll have had enough <laughs> of our list by then. He's like, I'm ready for the next step. I want to go see Mia Sports in Miami, <laughs> up close and personal. In, in um, Miami. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, you know, I don't even think, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you like him to get stronger, 6'5", 185, and, and he will. I mean, he'll add some weight. Like, I, I think I leave this before. The biggest thing with him, really the only question, and Jonathan, he was in your neck of the woods, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. But, I mean, he's got velocity. He, he touches 100. He's got a plus slider with two play and break. 
He's got feel for changeup that should get better as, as he uses it more often. He's athletic. He throws strikes. He's smart. He's competitive. The only knock that anybody really brings up about him is fastball metrics. It, it, the movement profile is not the movement profile that's in vogue. It's more of that downhill plane, bottom of the zone, rather than run and carry up in the zone. Um, and that's really the only quibble. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think he's going to move fairly quickly for a high school guy. I mean, shoot, if he graduates in 26, in 2026, he'll be 21 years old. But, you know, I think, you know, they're not going to overhaul him or, or anything like that because he's, he's really, really good. But I think it's just a matter of, of, of trying to get some more fastball life with him. Yeah, and he he's a real student of, of the game and all of the, you know, sort of changing grips and manipulating the ball. And he, he understands like so many young players do the, the data and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that he's going to be able to address that now, but that, you know, you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to overhaul because everything else works really well. And I don't even think, yes, he, he want, he's going to need to add some strength so he can hold up over you know 180 or 200 innings, whatever, you know, that amount is supposed to be now for a starter, but his stuff holds up, you know, he, he's, he's wiry, but he's strong. And, and, you know, I liked his arm action when I saw him. So I, I think that he, he kind of likes being in, in the lab, so to speak. And I think he's going to address some, you know, some of those very small concerns, Jim, that you mentioned. And I think we're going to see some of that show up, you know, as he moves along here. All right, Sports Mia, thanks for that question. Thanks to Wake Forest Seaver King for joining us on the show today. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.